Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Bellotti, and today I am very excited to have the Vice President of Product Growth from Gainsight, Travis Kaufman, with us. Travis, thanks for joining. Hey, you bet. Glad, glad, glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we why don't we give a quick background on yourself, and then uh, we're going to dive into our core topic today, which is growth in enterprise and how you kind of go down market over time because you've just gone through this process yourself with your team over there. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm currently leading product growth here at Gainsight. How I got here is perhaps an unconventional story. I, I began my career ages ago as a software engineer at E-Trade Financial, and I was building at the time an in-house CRM before CRMs were popular. Moved through a couple different startups, moved into product management. I had a great uh, experience in uh, the product team at Marketo for a number of years, so I got very well acquainted with the marketing technology universe, and then found my way into running a marketing at a small startup uh, named Aptrinsic, which was recently acquired by Gainsight. Uh, and so now I'm finding myself in this little hybrid role between product and traditional product management and marketing, which is a kind of the product growth arena, so to speak. Got it. And so to, to dive right in. So now, yeah. now you're at Gainsight, you got all that, all that background going on. And mm -hmm. there has been this decision to, to like really apply growth and do it in like a going down market type concept at Gainsight. Tell me, tell me like, where did that come from? What was the impetus for that? And what's the hypothesis behind it? Yeah. Uh, so with any, so we were acquired about eight, nine months ago, you know, with any acquisition, there is a lot, there's just a lot of questions around what do we do with new asset, this new asset we acquired? Are we going to sell independently of the mothership product? You know, what advantages do we have with this new offering? And so, you know, the, the, the leadership team, we went through this, this exercise of just massive exploration, right? And so prior to being acquired, Aptrinsic, now Gainsight PX, had a product-led go-to-market strategy. So any user uh, that wanted to try our product could log into our site, create an instance of the product, and that became part of our uh, customer acquisition process. And so that was something that was native to how we were operating before we were acquired, but it was a massively new undertaking for, for the, the core Gainsight uh, product. And so what we had done over the course of the last eight months was we continued to sell our product the way that we were, right? You can either go to the site or and request a demo, like a you know an enterprise sales cycle, kind of sales-led motion. Or if you wanted to self-select or self-serve, you could sign up for a trial. Uh, so that was something that we maintained, but we didn't necessarily emphasize that. Um, so we were kind of operating with what we knew, right? We were saying, okay, well, uh, all of our call to actions on our site were kind of oriented towards, hey, come talk to someone. Like, let's 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 speak with speak with a rep and let's uh, identify your pain points and do all the all of the um, you know the band and champ criteria and all that good stuff. And what we had found over the last, like, say, six months or so, was that there was a large number of inbound prospects that were um, interested in the offering. They saw value in what we were doing, but when it came time to you know, go through the purchase process, they were actually frustrated. There was a little bit of frustration with the need to have a conversation and multiple calls. And, and some of them explicitly told us, like, we just want to give you our credit card and we want to use your software. Like, why don't you make this easier for us? And uh, that's... Nice, where, nice thing to get them to say. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, uh, it was, I mean, it was a great surprise. And so that, actually, that one conversation led to a real a research project for the most part. And where we explored, you know, what is the kind of what is our current volume 
of inbound that would potentially want to buy from us this way? You know, what is the experience that they have and where are areas that we could optimize it? And that all kicked off about three, four months ago. And what we ended up finding was there was what we believe is a large enough market. Uh, there is enough inbound interest and there are new things that we can try to help acquire customers that way. And there are things in the current kind of the current product of the user onboarding experience that we could optimize and tweak. And so we started cranking up our measurement, you know, capabilities and looking at specific drop-off points and what we could what we could take advantage of and optimize. And then as of this quarter, you know, we introduced uh, a new startup edition. So, you know, one of the, the pain points that that SMB or that smaller company had with us was a price point, right? Our entry price points were too high. We had a, a free offering, which they could try it. Uh, and then they would jump to this, you know, kind of enterprise pricing structure. And uh, so that was a big leap for them. And so internally, we were discussing, you know, one, can we, you know, how can we acquire these customers more efficiently? And the hypothesis really was what was the, what was a vehicle that we can introduce to help make that happen? So um, we're still operating very much on a hypothesis mode right now as we execute on this. So, you know, we've introduced, we had in place already the ability for a customer to try the product before they buy. And what we were doing historically was they would try the product and if they wanted to buy, they would talk to a sales rep, right? So, you know, in some circles, uh, you know, we, we call that, you know, product assisted growth tactic to where like, the product is, you know, a driver of the acquisition process, um, but it's not the complete process, right? So it's far from a purely no touch type customer acquisition model. And then so we moved from there instead of saying, hey, you are you know, you're now a candidate to buy from us, come talk to a rep, we now give them an option to say that you're still welcome to talk to us. But you can also just purchase with a credit card. So we introduced a number of things I can go into more detail on, but we introduced Stripe as a credit card processing uh, vehicle. We introduced through our own, um, our own product, Gainsight PX, we now introduced the way uh, a product or a paywall type capability to where we can actually enforce this uh, within the product to make sure that these the gates are up in a certain way that once the trial has ended, it truly ends and there's a path forward. So we introduced a lot of those things. One of the surprises, I would say, uh, at least something that I didn't certainly inspect, was the amount of operational internal changes that needed to happen uh, kind of in the back office, right? So with any, you know, I would imagine, or at least this was the mentality going in, it was like the problem we need to solve for was the user's experience, right? And so we were optimizing uh, and the, the project was initially focused there. And then we had conversations with more and more of the operations teams. And they're like, well, how do I, you know, the support team, how do I, who should I prioritize uh, support inquiry from, right? And how do I know if they're a paying customer versus a trial customer? And how do I think about uh, one serving that additional audience? And so there were discussions around capacity planning for the support organization. There was revenue, op op revenue ops changes that needed to come into play around how we record this. And there were also accounting changes, right? So we were accustomed to a process where there was a person who would enter in Salesforce, all of the deals, all of the details of the deal, and then invoices were sent after the fact. And so now that entire process was happening immediately through a new system. And so the accounting team had to adjust into a way that they recognize the revenue. So that the operational piece was actually what um, we spent a good amount of time planning out and mapping out. And it was a, it was a surprise to me that that became such a, a focus of the success of the project. Got it. All right. We you covered a lot of ground there. You're, you're pretty good at this. You're like answering the questions I was going to have as you're talking. <laughs> it was great. 
Okay, so I want to I want to touch on a, on a couple things that that you mentioned here. So at at its core, it kind of sounds like you were there was already uh, like inbound traffic and some lead funnel around this market, and you said, all right, we can just better serve this group. There there's interest here. They're trying to use it. We can better serve it. And then as you were making that decision, you know, you you mentioned. You're doing things like implementing uh, Stripe to get credit card processing and and like the try before you buy and all these flows. How how'd you go about choosing which of those levers to build out? Was it uh, here are our three role models for tools that do this really well? Uh, is this uh, you know we had a lot of conversations with customers and here's like the two friction points that they see today and we're going to address that. Like how did you think about putting those levers in place? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So um, it actually started with us doing uh, an outbound or a survey to, it actually started very innocently. We weren't walking into the room saying, how can we optimize this process because we're going to go this route. Yeah, it, yeah. I was initially looking at, through the existing trial experience, there was, you know, we have instrumentation in place to know where users drop off within the product, right? That's one of the strengths that Gainsight PX product offers. So we certainly take advantage of it. And we noticed that uh, there was a specific stage that there was a massive drop off. And so my curiosity was piqued. I ended up reaching out to everyone who had gotten to that point but not completed. And I just asked them why. You know, what was it that, you know, kept them from installing this, next, taking this next step? And the results that I got back was what was led to the initial hypothesis. So, so the things that we heard were price point was too high. We weren't going to move forward any for any sort of setup uh, type work uh, until we understood what the price looked like. And so that led us to introducing pricing transparency on the yep. website. You know, we heard uh, also price point, right? The entry price point was, was too high for those SMB buyers. And so we introduced pricing point that made sense there. Other things that came back were around friction around the actual sales process itself, right? So I mentioned there was this, this one company in particular, they said, look, you had me, you had to email me contracts back and forth twice, and I would have rather just pay with a credit card. So like a combination of these things led us to, like it, it honed in on an area, right? And that's when we started looking at kind of the, the, the quantitative aspects of, okay, great, we've heard a small sampling size. These are the, the pain points of this particular audience. Like how big is this audience? Should we go after it? Like it became a, it became, um, you know, what questions did we need to answer ourselves to know if we should invest further in this, right? Because there was, there was enough curiosity. And so that's where it started. So it started with looking at, a drop-off point. So looking yep. at our product analytics, so to speak, to see a given area that looked curious, asking our customers about their experience in that stage. And then the results that came back led to more of a broader market analysis, trying to understand the the, the volume that could be reached and different vehicles that we could acquire more customers that way. I, I just want to pause there because I, I think that that is fantastic because I feel like a lot of people have a tendency to overthink this sort of process whereas yeah. it it is it is it is simple at its core right you looked at looked at the funnel you saw a big drop you were curious about it and then you reached out to customers you learned a bunch and then that informed your path forward right like it doesn't need to be about finding these like crazy models of this exact data point correlates with this other thing it's like all right there's a gap here yep yeah yeah exactly right i think uh Oftentimes, at least in in our in the software business, like we, there is a lot of smart people in this industry, and I think there's a lot of tendency to over-engineer or to overthink some things. And I think an advantage that that you have, or at least to break that, you know, of the, the analysis paralysis 
the cycle is is to to realize that everything you're doing is some level of experiment, right? So you're testing something. So it's, we weren't trying to sell the organization on, hey, this is the only go-to-market we're going to do. This is the, we're gonna test this for a quarter and we're gonna see the results and we're gonna decide at the end of the quarter if we're gonna continue to invest this way, right? And so that takes a lot of pressure off of people who are, or the companies that are trying to make this decision around how much research they need. And in our case as well, I mean, the analysis paralysis comes in like the higher the investment, right? So if we were going to say, we're going to invest a year to develop something new, then yes, you'd want to do much more research and have more confidence around it. So I I think we were fortunate in a stage where we had a lot of the components in place and there there wasn't a massive lift to to test this idea. Yeah. So I want to touch on this. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, you're thinking about it in the frame of we're going to invest in it for about a quarter. And I think this is one of these spaces where it's tricky to figure out how exactly to measure because if you were running an A-B test on your sign-up funnel, you could just say, all right, we think that we can get a uh, a 10% lift and it'll give us 100 more signups a day, right? With with this kind of bet, it's just a fundamentally different kind of bet, right? It is is like a purely strategic bet in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Uh, So how do you think about, we're going to do this for a quarter, at the end of the quarter, we're going to look at it and here's how we know if it worked. Yeah. So there were a lot of debates on this topic internally when we went yep. through this. We had kind of on one side of the fence, there was the, we know nothing. Let's do this work so that we can learn something. Right. And then there was also the financial aspect of if we're going to invest anything, we better have a definition of success that at the end, there is some sort of revenue tied to the outcome. Right. Dollars. And, Where, what exactly are the dollars? It's funny. We have those conversations exactly all the time. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. And so we ended up meeting in the middle. I mean, because there's a number of us who want to operate on some level of data and to say like, well, we have historical basis for X, Y, and Z. And in this case, we didn't. Like we had some information, but it wasn't like we could put together a confident forecast like you could with a more mature uh, process that you're operating on. And so we are estimating on, I mean, we, we put together some estimates based on the data that we had on our ability to convert people from the site to go into the product and for people in the product to complete specific actions. Like those are the things that we knew. And so we set some targets around that, which was kind of the user experience related targets. Yeah. And we also put together a, a, not necessarily revenue target, but a number of customers who were acquired via this vehicle, right? And so we'd set a number there. And then at the end of the experiment, what we plan to do is to say, one, were we able to optimize where we had information and did we get better? Great or not great. Um, and did we achieve the, you know, the, the revenue targets that we set with our board? And a combination of those things are what's going to help us determine whether or not to continue to invest. Regardless of what happens with this experiment, it is going, we're going to learn something. That's great. And I want to hit on one thing here because I'm going through this right now and would love yeah. your advice. How do you, in, in that process of, you, you say you got these two different sides uh, of the view of how to measure this at the end, you kind of land somewhere in the middle. Can you talk through the here's how we got the entire executive leadership team on board with this. Like, how do you go about corralling those conversations? Because I feel like that is a part that most people just don't talk about and everyone just kind of assumes it happens. But when you're in the moment where you're saying, all right, we we have to figure out a way to measure the strategic bet. I I feel like most people like sit around at their desks, look back and forth and then just... (laughs) Start start writing like here's what I'm gonna do first. I guess I, I guess I'll do that. Like how, how do you think about that? 
So we have, um, I mean, just earlier this year, we introduced a rhythm type process. So we have weekly check-ins, monthly check-ins, and quarterly check-ins. And so we have forums with the leadership team to check on things that we're doing and introduce new potential ideas, right? So that was, I think, one benefit to, you know, getting something new like this off the ground. Um, So we had forums for sharing information. And so as we started this process, it was really just, hey, here's what I found. What do you guys think, right? And, um, you know, there was a lot of questions that came out of that discussion. And uh, we ended up having, uh, as part of our quarterly process, an offsite uh, for the planning planning for the next quarter and ultimately the, the rest of the year. And in that, we dedicated a section to, you know, this experiment. And uh, it was that discussion where we aligned on things like, uh, what was going to be our final target and definition of success? This also coincided with meetings with the board. So our board was able to get aligned in it. So we weren't necessarily waiting for any sort of, you know, board level approval for this type of move. Because you mentioned, it is very strategic to go you know, to choose a different market, to go after a buyer, different sales motion. A lot of that's very new. We're lucky to have a very supportive board um, that understands that not everything is certain and uh, you have to have a level of experimentation to succeed. So it was actually in that planning session, we also discussed things like, I mean, what is the benefit of us, you know, charging uh, the customer requesting credit card information before they see the product, right? And so we had debates around whether or not we wanted to be speaking or um, we only wanted to be bringing in customers that were serious about buying right now, or if we wanted to get more people into the product to learn more and then try to optimize on the customer acquisition process afterwards. So that one is, is, it's a perfect opportunity for a test. So we're in this room, we were debating, you know, we had strong opinions on both sides. And um, it turned out this is a perfect type of thing to experiment with, right? So once you have some of these, the the core pieces in place, which at the time we didn't, we didn't have the core pieces around what are our current conversion rates and what's going to happen if we choose, you know, the credit card processing up front versus afterwards. So in that discussion, we ended up bringing information that we knew of. You know, there was some information online around, you know, the the implications of conversion rates as a result. And so we were, we kind of came to the decision point of, you know, we're going to, we're in a learning phase and we are not necessarily optimizing for qualified buyers at the moment of sign up. We actually need to learn more about how they use the product. And so we were open with them coming into the product before requesting the credit card. Right. So like that was a, an example of some of the debates that happened. I mentioned before, like the definition of success, we ended up resolving on a number that we all felt one was achievable, two would reflect success, you know, whether we, for ourselves and then it was communicated to the board and enough for us to say, hey, we've made the, the changes. So after that meeting was when we crafted, you know, the, the one page, the one pager, like here's the numbers that we're tracking. Here's our actual targets. Here's our goals. And so now we've got something that you know, the team who's executing this feels confident about being able to deliver on. Um, there's enough unknown. And uh, so we're the, the forecasts were optimistic that we can make. And so we're marching towards that now, which is, I think, a very different process than coming at like a, a massive top-down, unachievable target. And everyone's like, wow, oh, how's that going to happen? Yeah. Which I think oftentimes we find ourselves in that situation. So I think it's a, we're in a, it's a healthy mix of, like I said, the people who just want to do something to learn and the people who want to make sure that the learnings translate to some sort of business outcome. And a thing that you said at the end there around 
you came out of that discussion, came out of the, the the conversations around it, and then you put together this one pager. I think for for me at least, this is where I've I've kind of messed up before, where you come out of these conversations, and then it's really easy to walk out of the room and you have your own perception of here's where we landed. And then you don't realize until three weeks later that someone else thought that we landed Somewhere. in another spot. Right. And so so how do you how do you leverage that? Like, you know, source of truth thing after? Is it like you put it down and then you just send it to everyone and say like, I need you to look at this one more time and say yes or no. Like, yeah. yeah. Knowing who the, who the driver of the initiative is, like who is the owner, so to speak, who are the people who need to sign off? Like having that defined, it only saves time and energy and frustration, right? So we had a good idea of how that was defined. And so we didn't spend a lot of time, we didn't spend a lot of, you know, mental churning time on figuring that out. We also had a forcing function coming up with a board meeting where we were planning to present this. So we needed to have something that reflected our plan. Yep. And so that was, we had a forcing function in place. So it wasn't, um, you know, we weren't being diligent for diligence sake. Like this was yeah, yeah. Part, of our, part of how we operate. Yeah. So, so it, if you don't, right, for, for people listening, if you don't necessarily have a clear forcing function, you should try to find a way to make one for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so for example, so I mentioned we had that offsite. So after the offsite, we come back and we still have our weekly, you know, our weekly cadence of meeting. And so in the weekly update, there was a, you know, bringing the status of the initiative back to the forefront with that group. And we were able to say like, here's where the, here's, here's the project plan. Here's what we agreed to any open questions. And then there was still a forum where people said, yeah, well, what about that decision with the credit card thing? What's happening there? And we had a position and we could come back and say, this is what we decided. And that was, it was enough to where we moved from a, a kind of a storming type collaborative thought to here's what we're going to execute. Are there, are there massive challenges around what we're, there are massive um, conflicts around the path that we're choosing. And so that's what that next step was for. And it, it was at that point where we had this plan to say, here's what we're doing, just to remind everyone, because you're right, people can walk out of a meeting and have very different ideas around what people committed to. That's tough. That's really tough to deal with. So this, yeah. The fact that we have this cadence, I think, was very helpful. We had this forum to bring these topics to, and and um, we were also at a stage where, you know, we had kind of ballparked the launch date, and so that became another forcing function for us. Say, you know, here's the plan as we're operating under. Here's our date, and we can certainly change things, but it's going to impact the date. So if you feel strongly enough that this needs to happen a certain way, then we're going to have to push the date. So like that became also a healthy forcing function for us to go from like to break the analysis paralysis cycle, right? Because you can sit there and spend the whole time, but you, you know, we had, we had forcing functions around uh, the board meeting. We had forcing functions around a, a, a date and we had a team who was driving towards delivery. So yeah, I mean, it was, um, you're right. It is, there's a lot of behind the scenes things that happen. I'm trying to think of uh, with anything new like this, I, I've been lucky enough and in my career to have introduced a lot of new things, introduced new things within an organization. And so socializing ideas is a huge amount of a part of it. And so like just my recommendation for anyone out there who's introducing something new for their company, like don't underestimate how much energy you need to spend just talking to people about the plan and getting their input and figuring out who needs to be involved. All right. That was a big open question in the beginning was, uh, yes, we're going to do this. Is this just a, a marketing led thing? Is the product team involved? What's the sales implications? And, you know, we ended up going through as we were socializing this idea, like there was this massive amount of change that needed for the, uh, for the backend operations team uh, to account for it properly. So 
yeah, don't be, don't, uh, don't shy away from socializing the work because that's going to surface things that would ultimately be roadblockers down the line. Makes sense. And so in addition to the, to the lift that you have at the beginning to socialize and get everyone on board and, and get like the clear decision around, here's how we're going to measure this strategic bet. When you're going through this whole process, what are some of the other really heavy lift things that you've gone through in, in the past few months? Uh, I know one thing that you mentioned was around like billing and processing and, and accounting and all that. Are, are there a couple other things that were surprisingly bigger aspects of this process of going to a new market than you thought? That's a good question. So I mentioned, so there were, um, I would say, you know, I described this cute little process and it was very little buckets and lines and it was all very neat. It actually wasn't as neat as I just described it, right? So, you know, yes, we had these, these sessions set up, but getting your topic as the agenda item, like that's always kind of fuzzy. Um, so utilizing the idea internally and understanding when it becomes, when it goes from idea to action, that's a fuzzy line too, I think. So that I think I, there was some level of, of um, effort involved to move the organization from talking about something to doing something. The second phase I mentioned was was the the operational changes. So anytime you have, um, like you're trying to change from a kind of a purely, you know, sales-led approach and you're trying to introduce a product-led approach or even a, you know, no-touch purchase process, like there are, you know, there are, it's, it's impacting almost every team in some form. And that was the second piece that, that I think was a heavier lift than, than originally anticipated was just operationally. How do we measure what's working, what's not, uh, what teams need to be involved, revenue recognition, tax implications, like all these things come up that like initially I would not have thought was that was going to be a big issue. As far as the product, I think, um, you know, the product changes were not as massive as you would have thought because we already had the ability for a customer to try the product. We didn't have to figure out new provisioning mechanisms. We didn't have to do that, uh, which I think would for many other companies is perceived as a very heavy lift. Yep. So we had that native already. And so what was introduced on the product side was really the ability for the product to know that a customer is trying it versus a customer. They bought it through credit card. And so there was some integration work that we had done there. You know, we took advantage of the fact that our product supports um, altering the, the experience um, of the user based upon different data sets. So, you know, when a customer tries the product out, we know that they're in a trial state. You know, we're connected to our backend system, so we know that if there's an opportunity associated, then it's, uh, a tr uh, you know, a proof of concept that the sales team is leading, right? So we had a lot of, I think, some of the, the infrastructure in place as a result of using, you know, our own product, which was, which was um, I think, reduced the amount of lift that I think many companies will go through. Yep. Makes sense. It's funny how, in some cases, the actual product changes to offer a, a new type of product offering is the lesser amount of work of, of all the other moving pieces. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's fun things, not fun. When you have uh, established teams, so let's say the inside sales team, when anyone comes in and requests a demo, like they have a process, they have incentives, the sales organization has incentives. You know, when you introduce a potential, you know, no-touch buyer, well, that changes incentives for that team. And so you have to make sure that you're also aligning incentives to make sure that, you know, you're not introducing something intentionally competitive with your current motion. And so we ended up working through that, but that was, that was something that came up is that making sure that, you know, 
the support organization, uh, they are, you know, operating with customers in mind as a top priority. And so in their mind, if someone's not paying us money, they shouldn't be given attention, right? And so that was also a, an incentive change to say, yes, there's going to be potential new volume from non-customers. And they're like, wait a second, what is, that doesn't make any sense for my world. Like, what, you know, you're, you're moving my cheese or you're, you're just changing my in such a way that, that we didn't originally think of. And so, you know, socializing those ideas helps, like surfacing the potential changes like that is how those things came into being a discussion point. Um, so again, I think socializing ideas with different groups is is a great vehicle to help you identify things that you didn't think of first or think of originally that are going to have massive implications when you actually roll something out. And to to dig in on that a little bit, let's say there are scenarios where there are going to be, and this is likely to happen in these cases, where you have individuals on those teams, whether it's sales or support or whoever is workflow is being impacted significantly by this kind of change. You have individuals that are specifically frustrated by it, right? How do you, how do you go about that? Is it like, you know, you say to the rest of the org, like, Hey everyone, I have a totally open door. Like if you have any questions about this, come talk to me. Is it, you know, you give the whole team a presentation, do you create some documentation that everyone can latch onto? Is there like new training? How do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, leading into that, so I'll, I'll pick on sales for a minute because I think they are, you know, with moving to a, a more self-serve type customer acquisition process where they're disconnected, like there's there's a threat to them, right? And you have to acknowledge that this is a big change. Mm-hmm. And so um, first is, you know, making sure that we're aligned at the leadership level, right? So uh, when we're making the decision that sales, the sales leadership is on board with the change. And then once we've done that, then it's a matter of presenting the plan to the team and giving them a forum to voice concerns. And again, I kind of rolled this into the whole socialization aspect, but you know, two weeks prior to launching it, we, we presented the sales team like, here's what the user's experience is going to look like. Here's what's going to happen. And here's the changes to kind of what you were doing before, right? And it's not massive. It's actually... Um, Going through this route, it actually, we, we had to go through how this could benefit them, right? So going back to the compensation, right? If we were to operate on, you know, anyone who purchases with a credit card, the rep is not going to get compensated, then there's going to be a tension, right? They're going to say, well, I'm not going to tell customers that that's even an option. If they find right. it, great, but I'm not going to tell them. Right, a reasonable perspective, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we've had expertise uh, in the past, luckily, that shared a specific model, right? So if there's a two-way dialogue that a rep has with a prospect, and then they choose an annual purchase plan, then they'll get credit for it, right? So they were supporting that assist. We also offer monthly plans, and we say if they have a conversation with someone that leads to a monthly, then they don't get commissioned for it. So they're incentivized on generating potentially uh, longer-term contracts, And the second benefit that they had was they were, you know, having conversations with smaller companies, spending time with them, and then the company had to walk away, right? So now there's a potential new source for a new outlet for them to not necessarily have to walk away from the specific prospect, but have a way that, that, you know, they they could potentially support that process. And so we ended up finding, I think, a a path to where uh, the sales team is aligned on it uh, for the initial launch. You know, we'll have to iterate and see how this goes. But I think that was something that that helped us move from, whoa, this is crazy and new, and this is harmful to me, to, okay, this is what we're doing. I can see how this is a benefit to the company and to myself. And, okay, let's do that. I get it. Yep. 
Makes sense. Uh, that that is one of the the trickier trickier lines to walk, and it's an important one, right? Because you need you need everyone bought in for those kinds of decisions. Because if you don't, then it, it's almost like the thing is doomed to fail because everyone else's incentives are are built to doom it to fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, you know, we're we're working through it now. So, you know, I, I I'd love to sit here and say that everything's roses and sunshine, and yeah, yeah, we're learning as we go, and I, I think we're doing thoughtful things. We'll see how the thoughtful things pan out. But like I mentioned before, like regardless of what happens, we've learned something and hopefully that's to our advantage. Absolutely. That is great. Do you have any other pieces of advice for listeners out there that we didn't touch on yet around like, I'm going to go down market or we're making this big strategic bet uh, for self-serve or product led, like anything we didn't touch on yet, or you feel like we we covered it? Oh, we covered a lot of good stuff. Um, I will add, I think for enterprise software, uh, companies, I think there's a tendency to lean on your customer-facing teams to communicate your product's value. And so I guess my call to action is for anyone who's building your product is to realize that your product is a vehicle to help you sell things. And you don't necessarily have to have a free trial experience to gain the benefits. For example, if you have multiple products, right, and you potentially you're on the honor system where customers can potentially access things they haven't purchased. like let your product be the gatekeeper in a sense and help that. Um, I mean, this is a, a product-led strategy. It's a product-led tactic for companies that don't necessarily use it for, for customer acquisition, but use this for cross-sell. Like you can use these techniques to say, look, I can see that there's certain usage of a given uh, feature set that customers shouldn't have access to. Let's inform my internal teams and let's also inform the customer. Say, hey, it's this time we have a conversation. I think too often times the product teams are disconnected from that. And either the sales team or the customer success team are on the hook for one, identifying when a customer could be out of, you know, out of their purchase plan and then take the appropriate action. I think when your product team moves closer to how you can use your product to either enforce or promote new new cross-sell opportunities, I think that's a that's a huge advantage that 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 you can benefit from without having to go down the route that we did, which is saying we're going to make a huge bet on a different buyer and using our product to acquire them. Right. So I think that's a, you know, in some worlds, a a huge leap. So I guess my takeaway here is that there are advantages that you can get by using your product, regardless of how you sell it. That is a great way to wrap it up. Well, Travis, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining. You bet. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And for all of you listening, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. If you're a fan, would love a glowing review on your on your podcast app. If you have any suggested topics, I say this stuff all the time. If you have any suggested topics, uh, speakers, whatever it might be, feel free to reach out, uh, matt at drift.com, and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.